Welcome to Grace and Peace Church. Grateful to have you journeying with us. We're in the book of James and we're in chapter 1 verses 26 to 27 and uh, if you need information about who we are as a church, what we're up to before we dig into this message, um, links are below in the description or if you're listening on the podcast in the show notes and if you want to find us uh, on social media you can go to our website and um, graceandpeacechurch.org will have everything that you need in there. So um, let me go ahead and kick us off. Uh, James chapter 1, 26 to 27. And uh, we're going to continue in this, this beautiful journey that we're going through in this, this letter that is powerful. It's good. So let me pray as we kick into it. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that even thousands of years later, it's speaking to us powerfully. Your Holy Spirit is here with us and the longing to teach us about new life, about setting us free, about ways to live that are uh, in flow with the way that you designed us to live. We pray this in your name. Amen. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and the religion is worthless. He goes pretty intense there. Religion that our God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted from the world. He talks about religion in these couple of verses, and so we're just going to talk about religion. We're going to get into it. Uh, you might have a background or an understanding about religion that says, I want nothing to do with religion. Religion has done nothing but cause harm in our world. And for that, I say you have good reason. I am with you. There is many reasons that religion has been destructive, divisive, unfavorable. Not something I desire. And the, the desire, I think, that, or the temptation sometimes is to completely ditch religion altogether and just say, I'm not religious. I want nothing to do with it. Um, but today's passage uses this term religion. And, and if this helps, um, I hope this can reframe your understanding of religion. Religion, in its definition, is a particular system. Okay, It's a particular system, which is we're going to use those that little phrase, a particular system of faith and worship, okay? And that could mean a lot of different things, how that's lived out, what that looks like, okay? So the, the, the orthodoxy, the, the understanding of who God is, what he's doing in our lives, and how that's lived out, the, that would be the orthopraxy, the, the practice of what it is, um, is going to vary across the board, right? No matter who you talk to, even within a denomination, you're going to find differences of opinion, differences, um, but you're going to have more nuance than you are major differences, okay? And so what we're looking at here is an understanding of religion in this term when we talk about a particular system that um, that I think we're all very used to. I think we just don't call it that. All right. So let me, let me just unpack that a little bit. What I mean by that, we're all familiar with being religious or being in religious establishments. And here's why 
If you're a skater, I know there's many skaters in our church, whether they're derby or whether they're skateboarders or uh, maybe even surfers. We'll talk about surfers here in a second. Um, if you're a skater and you go to the skate park, that is a particular system that you live into, right? If I've been recently going to the skate park a bit because my kids love it. And if you go to a skate park and you break the rules of that skate park, people will let you know pretty quick, right? There's usually a board of rules that says you got to wear a helmet and all this stuff, but then there's always unwritten rules. And every skate park kind of has it. They're a little nuanced, but I've recognized that there's certain areas within the skate park that you wait and line up and hang out. And there's certain areas where you're going to get in the way and people will let you know really quick that this isn't how we operate. This isn't how we do things. I would propose that is a religion. That is, you wouldn't call it that. Nobody would ever call it that, but it's a particular system. And if our definition of religion is a particular system that helps shape our faith and our worship, then that would be one of them because skateboarding, I could argue, we, we, I say me, and many others probably worship it more than we think. Surfing for me is the thing that I would say would be almost my religion, right? And, and I hope you're starting to see where this is going because there's, there's so many things in our lives that we say, oh, I'm not religious, I don't, I don't worship anything, I don't spend any time really putting my faith and trust in something, but I could argue that skating, or for me, surfing, uh, there's a set of rules that we live by when we go out and surf, uh, when you paddle out into the lineup where the waves are, um, there's an etiquette that you need to follow. And people will quickly remind you again, if you're breaking that etiquette, there's a, there's a religious following that happens there, right? There's also um, lingo that goes with it. There's a culture of style of clothing, right? If you show up at the skate park looking like a clown, people probably judge you for some reason. They might say, oh, we accept everybody, but really? Do they really accept you? I don't know. Because I know that in the surf world, it's the same in any other culture. If you show up dressed in a certain way that's outside the norm, you're gonna stand out. So there's a particular set of unwritten rules that I would say are a religion. So we all have these particular systems in our lives. Uh, I recently saw a lawyer who's in a Zoom meeting and in this meeting with the judge and the other lawyer um, logs into his account and his account, I don't know if it was his kids or who it was that had switched out the filter, but it was a cat filter for his face. And you could tell that he was just super frustrated on trying to figure out how to turn this cat filter off. And he's like, I got my secretary here trying to help me figure it out. And um, this guy who I'm sure has been doing law for more than 30 years um, just has this conversation you hear with the judge. And he's like, I'm here. Can you hear me? And, and he goes, I'm here. I'm, I'm live, but I'm not a cat. Can you tell? And you know, he just, you could tell he was just so frustrated that he has a cat filter on and he's not understanding why this is happening and trying to convince everybody else that he's not a cat, that he's really there. He's fully there, fully present, but not a cat and trying just to move forward with it. And you could tell there was a sense of frustration. And I think that's just a perfect illustration of where we find ourselves in this cultural moment where so much of what we thought was normal has changed. 
the particular systems that we've all been familiar with, a lot of them have shifted and it's got us questioning what is good, what is normal. How do we live life working from home? How do we live life with kids at home and not at school and all the different things, all the challenges that we face. And, uh, and I think those routines all speak to the fact that we have a religion. We have a religion when it comes to our daily routine even, right? This lawyer, I'm sure, his, his particular system that he was used to for 30 years of meeting in a courtroom has been completely obliterated re recently, right? And, and I think that really speaks to this idea of religion being a particular system that we live into. And when that particular system doesn't line up, we would say that that's something we don't want to be a part of. And that's why I think many people just say, I don't want to be a part of religion. I don't want to be a part of any kind of religion because what religion does is cause damage. And so we throw out the baby with the bathwater. And what we see Jesus do is he comes on the scene and this is, again, this is God coming in flesh and blood to be with us, to show us how to live life the best possible way. And what he does is he teaches a particular system. Jesus doesn't say get rid of all of the religious rules and everything. He says on the Sermon on the Mount, which we went through pretty much the majority of last year, um, that there's a particular system, a way of living that is good. That when we live out this religion in a way that is designed as it was designed to be, it is then good. That then it's religion that he says our God Father accepts as pure and faultless. And, and so again, in Jesus' day, there was many other religions. There were many other people preaching and teaching a different kind of religion. And the particular system that many others were preaching were slightly nuanced, slightly different, some extremely different. Um, maybe you've heard the word the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the Essenes or the Zealots. Those were all uh, religious sects within, the, within Judaism that are interpreting their religion in a certain way. And what Jesus did was he came on the scene saying, Love God, love others. This is the particular system that I want you to live into. And the systems that these, a lot of the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees had were just piling on rules. They just weren't what God originally intended, but they were interpreting it in a way that wasn't good, that wasn't life-giving. In the same way that we see Christians interpret Scripture in a way that isn't good, isn't life-giving, isn't true to God's Word. Matthew 5.17, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And this is in the Sermon on the Mount. So he's like, I'm not here to destroy religion. I'm not here to take that completely away. But what I'm here to do is to bring a way that is the way it was intended to be. Because he goes on in a couple verses, he says, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So he puts a, a high value emphasis on practicing what Jesus teaches. And uh, basically, it's do as I do. Pastor Carissa spoke about this last week in her message. 
title, Do As I Do. And the whole concept is just this idea of Jesus brings this message that um, that isn't meant to be a burden. It's not meant to be difficult, challenging. It's meant to be good. It's meant to be life-giving. And so he says, do as I do. Live in these ways that I've called you to live and you'll begin to see how you'll thrive. And so when we talk about Jesus being sometimes more important than religion, uh, a lot of people will say that. They're like, I choose Jesus over religion. I'm choosing my relationship with Jesus. It's not a It's not a religious thing, it's a relationship. Um, I think what they really mean is they want authentic, meaningful, life-giving relationship that is our Christian faith, that is our religion, our particular system, our particular way of living. Jesus, what he calls us to is to live into this religion that sets us free. So. And when I use the word religion, again, it's a particular system. Live into this particular system that sets you free. Because there's all kinds of particular systems that we live into that are not good. Right? All kinds of particular systems. I just use surfing and skating as an example or coffee. But there are other particular systems when thought systems, beliefs, ways of living that that are damaging. That that are so temporary at best. Uh, when we think about the American dream of possessions, um, having people around you that love you and, and will care for you, um, all these different things that we think if we have more of these, we'll somehow be satisfied. But what Jesus calls us to is this particular system of dependence on Him, full surrender to Christ, and then all the rest falls into place, that all the rest begins to be aligned in the right way. And so, believe I believe that the relationship with Christ will then point us to a true religion, a religion that is life-giving, that is good. I heard this week, someone asked Pope John Paul II what he does in his free time, and his response to this interviewer was, all my time is free. All my time is free. Exterior circumstances don't dictate whether we are living free. And what he understands is that the world around us will do all kinds of stuff and will rise and fall and will have its ups and downs, will have its challenges. But really, if my joy, my freedom is dependent on exterior circumstances that will be temporary at best. An interior reality based on a relationship with Christ is what sets us free. And that's the kind of religion that James is talking about. So when we talk about religion, we have to reframe how we view that word. And I propose that we view it as a particular system, a particular system of how we live. As a kid, going to church randomly with my family, it was boring and dead. I remember going uh, with my mom and dad randomly. They would take us to church. And um, I just remember as a kid observing what was happening, um, that that religion, according to these churches, uh, that they were living into was stale. It didn't have any meaning. Uh, the particular system that emphasized 
one hour on a Sunday morning, gathering together, singing songs, reading, standing, sitting. Not that there's anything wrong with those things, but they all, it, it basically, it just, it was nothing but that. There wasn't anything more. There wasn't anything that took place during the week that was so different, so nuanced, so outside of what I was seeing uh, in my day-to-day -day life that was unique. Um, there was no life change. It seemed like it was a one-hour thing that you did to be religious, quote-unquote, to be a part of a particular system, but there was no transformed way of life. That um, the way that they treated close friends or even strangers wasn't any different than anybody else I saw. And um, there wasn't a sense of radical generosity. It was this hour on Sunday morning, that was the religious duty and it was gone. And so for a long time, it didn't have much meaning until I began to see that there can be more. So what defines religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless, as he says here in verse 27? Or better said, What's a religion that's worth being a part of? Look after orphans and widows and avoid being polluted by the world. Essentially he's saying, love God and love others. This echoes a familiar passage that we see in the Old Testament, uh, the prophet Micah. And in chapter 6, verse 8, he says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This theme is nothing new. This is something that echoes God's heart all throughout Scripture. Continually, God's people would hear these calls to take care of the poor, the widow, the orphan, um, and continually be seeking God's face. And then God's people turn to selfish ways, turn to... Uh, legalism turn into all kinds of other things and, and get distracted and begin to take this religion or take these particular set of rules, this particular system of living and completely just lose focus and the purpose of what it's about. And so Micah being a prophet calls him back and says, what has he shown you? Act justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. There's a humility, there's a way of journeying with God that will then bring new life to you as well as the people that you minister to and the people that you're around. And so religion always focuses on the works that I do, but relationship always focuses on the work that Christ does or has done in our lives. This is the unique theme that comes up over and over in this letter that James writes to the early church, to the early believers. And so this idea of our faith being meaningful, purposeful, um, life-giving, that's the kind of religion that he's talking about. And again, if that term religion is a hang-up for you, then I would say throw it out, get rid of it if you want to. It's a particular system. And so everybody ascribes to a particular system in one way or another. The particular system that James is continually calling us back to is a way that is life-giving that begins to take care of others, that puts others first and begins to care for the widow, the orphan. And then he, he concludes it with not being polluted by the world, which again ties into that relationship side of it. So the first 
little nugget of info that we see in this pat in this week's passage is a relationship should always take priority over religion. So our relationship with God should always be a priority over these rules, whatever we've set up, um, the particular system that we live into. The relationship is what drives that particular system. So when you see people that are living hypocritical, that are using Christianity in a way that is destructive, that doesn't line up with scripture, that you're like, I want nothing to do with that, that's as a result of people abusing that relationship and losing the focus in that relationship and moving towards rules or using it for selfish gain. And to that, I would say our church wants nothing to do with that either, right? I, would, I do not encourage that in any way. So here's how we see this lived out throughout Scripture. Um, this relationship with God has to take a priority over the rules and regulations, if you will. And here's why. The practice of gleaning was an Old Testament law. It was in Leviticus 19. And it was this idea that a farmer would leave the outside 10% of his or her farm for the poor, the widow, the alien, the outsider that might be passing through that is in need for them to glean, to take parts of that field and to benefit from it, to either have food um, and to be able to, to thrive basically wherever they're at. And so that came out of a heart for the poor, for the outcast, and, and that was woven into their, their particular system right? So their particular religion. And that came out of a heart for pleasing God and God's heart for God's, for the people. And, um, and so woven into that relationship was just a, a sense of generosity. I could see how farmers easily could have gotten to this point of saying, well, why do I need to leave this 10%? Why do I need to give generously above and beyond what I normally have and what I need to all these other people? That's just a legalistic law that I don't really want to be a part of. And what you see, though, is a relationship with God begins to transform the heart of why you have that particular system in place. So when you understand God's heart is for the outcast, for the broken, you begin to see that that particular system allows us to thrive and allows God's people to thrive. And then it doesn't become a rule. It doesn't become something that we have to do. It's something that we desire to do. And so fast forward to today, there's all kinds of ways that we probably say, uh, you know, either tithing or, you know, my church tells me I need to go serve or do something. All of those different things, that seems legalistic. And I don't, I would, I would say if, if you're feeling like you're told to do that, yes, that would be legalistic. But if you're hearing God's heart for the broken and you see that there is a need, stepping into that would not be legalism. That would be following the heart of God, following the rules that God uh, puts before us because those reflect God's heart. So what particular system do you dedicate your life to? We all dedicate our lives to particular systems, to ways of living, to belief systems, right? So wrestle with this. I would just encourage you to maybe write this down, take some time to reflect on it and say, what particular system am I dedicating my life to? 
And I would encourage you and I would invite you to dedicate your life to Christ because of the life transformation that happens when we begin to follow Christ's teachings, as we begin to learn His ways, we begin to discover a way of life, a particular system that is good. I've discovered it. Millions of others have discovered it. And uh, we want to begin to live into that more and more each day. And so here's some action steps to begin to do that. And the first thing I would say that's very obvious, as James says it here, is who are the neglected people in your life? Who are those that are in in distress, that keep, um, sorry, that are orphans and widows um, that are in distress? Who are the people that are in distress in your life? Who are the people that need that support, that need that extra care, that love, that maybe they're not getting as a result of other people's neglect? Or maybe their own sin or their own damage to their own lives? How can you begin to bring worth and value to their lives? And then the second thing I would say is James is writing to an audience of believers that are scattered. And what he encourages them is to not forget what Jesus invites them into. That is freedom. Do not forget that there is a freedom that he invites us into. The religion that Jesus brought, the religion that Jesus was fulfilling and living into was this Continue a reminder, and that's why he simplifies all of the law down to love God and love others. That if you want to thrive in this life, love God and love others, and you'll begin to experience that freedom because nothing else matters. I don't have to live for the approval of other people. I don't have to live for some kind of identity that I've put on my own life other than the fact that God loves me as I am. And that he wants to work in my life. And so, don't forget that Jesus invites us into freedom. There's a song that we sing, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And it comes from 2 Corinthians 3, 17-18. I just want to read it over us as a reminder. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Being connected to the Holy Spirit, to Christ, it brings freedom. And so I would say, listen to the Holy Spirit as kind of the third step. Psalm 80, the very end, it says, Revive us, and we will call on your name. Restore us. Lord God Almighty, make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Revive us. Restore us. That is the heart of the psalmist as we begin to uh, enter into this relationship um, with God, with our Father, that He's going to revive us. He's going to bring this new life. He's going to bring this freedom. And so this week as we go into our life groups, we have life group on Tuesday and Thursday night at 7 o'clock. We're going to look at the Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard and look at a bit of the truth that's found in living into those disciplines because as kind of the fourth truth here in this action step, I would say the particular system that we live into will help us thrive. Meditation, prayer, fasting, 
living a life of simplicity, fellowship with one another. All these are disciplines that help us experience this freedom. Because we can't just be zapped into this relationship because there's sin in our lives. There's ways that we just, we're going to revert back into old ways. So we have to begin to live into this new way. So we have to have a particular system that we live into. And I believe that the spirit of the disciplines is what shapes us. That we have that that heart for God and what he desires. And that these, these particular disciplines shape us to begin to really experience God's heart. So I want to close with this Psalm 19.7 that talks about religion. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. I pray that your soul is restored. It's continually being restored day by day. And so grace and peace to you as you live into this and that full restoration takes place in your life as you begin to encounter Jesus more and more. Amen. Rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us. Share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of each day. Amen.